All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Again, to those of you who, who just, uh, just popped in. I feel like this side just filled out really fast. <clears throat> okay, so we skipped last week. Uh, and so just a, a brief recap. What did we talk about two weeks ago? What's that? Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> what did we? Yes. Yes. So <clears throat> Thomas talked about the uh, interplay of the body and emotions. Does anyone, can anyone just think for a moment? It's okay if it's not top of your mind, but just take a moment. Think about what stood out to you in that, um, in that study. How mixed up we are. Yes. Okay. Just think. Yes. Right. There are external forces on our emotions, um, and they're not necessarily external. Uh, I was, I was expressing a little bit of frustration with, with my own terminology to Rebecca yesterday because I feel like the word tension is this much beloved word amongst some folks, and like everything has tension. Um, however. There is tension between the interplay of soul and body and, and things of the mind, things of emotions, et cetera, et cetera, and our, our physical beings. And so we see, I think, already, we're not even that far into the book, and already we keep bumping up into this, uh, into this tension of how do our bodies affect our emotions and, and vice versa. Um, what else? Lucy wasn't here. So, Lucy, tell us more. <laughs> I, mean, I can talk about the body. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> some of the things that he, uh, some of the things that he wanted to draw out. I was actually not here either, but I got the lowdown from Rebecca, and talked to Thomas. Um, but some of the things that he he talked about was, you know, one just stating the obvious: emotions manifest in our bodies in both directions. Um, and the book talks about how you, you, when, you're, when you're scared, uh, you feel your body reacting to that emotion. Or when you're angry, that your body, your body, some people wear their, uh, their emotions right on their sleeve. And, and there's, no, there's no guesswork about what they're feeling. Um, furthermore, he talked about that we are, we are body and soul. So there's not, it's not like uh, the body is an appendage. And that's a good thing. And we, there's a danger, and, and there have been uh, um, many Christians throughout history who have, have had a tenuous relationship with the body and wanted to treat it as though it's something else. And you know, as, as you've heard, that comes from Greek philosophy. Um, he, he also talked about how <coughs> we can, um, I think the thing that stood out to me most from hearing Rebecca talk was how we are responsible even for the involuntary sinful emotions that we have that rise from our bodies. Um, and there's, there's a lot that could be discussed uh, 
there where, okay, I'm having an emotional response because I'm hungry. That's not an excuse. That's a reality. That's something I should be aware of. But it's not an excuse for me lashing out at someone, right? So as you approach the, the, the idea of, say, lashing out at someone, you could realize, okay, me lashing out at this person is sinful. Um, that, that rose up in me because I was hungry, so I should probably make sure that I'm feeding myself food to help me avoid uh, those types of problems. I had a, a coworker whose, whose daughter would misbehave horribly anytime she had candy with red dye 40. And so they would just avoid candy with red dye 40. Interesting. All right, so, um, <clears throat> so the, body is, the body and the interplay with the, the body is one facet of, of what can impact our emotions. Um, and today's chapter is going to turn the attention towards community, towards others. Um, so the, the chapter is titled, You Relate to Others When You Feel With Them. And so we want to think about a little bit about how other people impact our emotions, but we especially want to think about how we uh, feel with others. So <clears throat> C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves, who's read The Four Loves? I have not. So Lucy's the only one in the room that can... Now the caveats come. Okay, okay, I got it. Uh, <laughs> that's like me with. That's me with every book on my shelf. I'm, I'm reading it. It's three fourths done. Um, <clears throat> however, there are so many amazing quotes from that book, and one of them is the following: Friendship arises out of mere companionship. When two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share, and which, till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical, of French, typical expression of friendship, opening friendship, wow, sorry, let's try that again. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. So think about, think about for a moment, maybe your own childhood, but especially watching kids. What happens when two Little kids meet each other for the first time. Okay, what, wait, say that again. How did they push through to the best friends? Yeah. What's, yeah, what's your favorite dinosaur? How old are you? Uh, you know, what, what's, you know, how old are you? Oh, I'm seven. Or what's your favorite color? Oh, it's blue. My favorite color is blue too. It seems like everyone's favorite color is blue somewhere. Um, <coughs> but, you know, and, and suddenly now there's this bond. Our favorite color is blue and we're both seven. Like this is, we're besties forever. Um, I, I had this experience with my, my now brother-in-law when we first met. Um, we, we discovered very quickly that we both loved cowboys and everything related to them. <laughs> and it was, I mean, we were best friends ever since. And uh, we, would, we would talk about the latest cap gun at Walmart with, with just such warmth and joy in our hearts. Um, <clears throat> we had the exact same one for a while. 
Uh, it can also go the opposite way. We don't always connect. There was, a, there was a, an experience in Peru where I think it was the first or second time we went to the school to invite people to VBS. And this kid, about 13, comes up to me and he's got pretty good English. And so part of it, I think he just wanted to practice his English, but he comes up and he says, uh, do you parkour? I said, nope. <laughs> Do you surf? Nope. <laughs> Do you skateboard? <laughs> nope. And he just walked away. He was done. <laughs> he didn't let me tell him about bagpipes or anything. He went and found Charles Shields. <laughs> he found the soon-to-be Marine Charles Shields and found a, a more suitable companion. Um, can't blame him. Charles is cool. So this continues, though, uh, as adults. We find camaraderie in these types of, of shared interests. What are, what are some examples of, of how we find camaraderie as adults in shared experiences and interests? Shared faith. Okay. Wow, you went straight for the most important one. Good. What are other ways? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or when um, you have time because your daughter engages somebody and then you find another man you can't because your daughter engages. <laughs> Emma, I'm sure that has nothing to do with you. <laughs> nothing. <coughs> yeah. What else? Raising chickens. Raising chickens. Definitely would not have thought about that one. <laughs> Rebecca's probably like, yes. <laughs> what else? Yep. 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 The difficult life of, of fathers during pregnancy, it's hard. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> the, another way can be shared, shared experiences in a moment. I mean, how many movies have been made about complete strangers becoming friends or, or close, uh, close companions because of some incredibly difficult circumstance? Or maybe it's a comedy and it was something stupid and silly. Or, but we experience these things. Like, you're on the bus on the way home from Atlanta and it's taking inordinately long to get home. And there's this camaraderie that comes out. It's like, man, it was, it was really a bummer. And then suddenly people start opening up about, oh, this is, this is tough. And suddenly you have like these little friendships and you're all leaving the bus going, hey, see you tomorrow. It's great being on the bus with you for three hours. Um, <laughs> we make connections uh, through our emotions. Our, our uh interaction with an event or an experience and the emotions that we have build connections amongst us. And that's just, that's just the way it is. Um, now, this can be for good or for ill. So take the bus scenario. Um, or, or maybe you're, you're at the airport and your, your flight gets canceled. Um, sometimes camaraderie comes out of grumbling. And maybe very frequently comes out of grumbling. Uh, I don't know if you've had this experience, but you're at the grocery store and the cashier is taking a long time 
and the customer right in front of the cashier is getting really frustrated and they like look around and they catch your eye and they're like <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's sometimes a temptation to in that moment like join them and be like oh my word yeah sorry <laughs> um but the camaraderie there it's not i'm not saying it's always wrong to like okay yeah that's taking too long but sometimes that grows um the the we were on a flight one time and the flight the plane that we were going to fly uh, was damaged. It had to go to a smaller plane. They were cutting passengers off the flight. You had to go up and be like, did I make it? And then if you made it, you got to go into this, this like very um, uh, marked off area uh, to wait for the, the flight. And, um, you know, at first you go in, you're just like, oh, thank goodness we're going to make it home. And then as soon as you're in there, it's really confusing. And the most favorite topic of conversation was the utter ineptitude of all the staff. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> this is, makes it sound like I always shine in these situations. I don't. But in that moment, praise God, I'm thinking, wait, we just found out we made the flight. And you're still complaining? Like, <laughs> just chill. Uh, it's okay. <clears throat> So we can, we can find camaraderie over the wrong things. And, and that, that can grow. Those are trivial examples. But think about violent mobs. Violent mobs are, are connections over emotions, and they're unchecked, and they just run. Um, you might find clubs or, or camaraderie for conscious or subconscious evil things. Uh, and... And so, so this, this fact that we connect is no less impacted by the fall than, than anything else. But it's also for good. Um, it's good that we, that we connect. Think about um, Pastor Santos was just here from Peru. And, and some people argue, well, all that money you spend on, on, on sending people to Peru or, or going to Peru, like, wouldn't it have been better to just send them money? Well, that misses a crucial piece of, of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. It mi misses a crucial piece of, of what it means to be um, invested in the work of Christ's church. If we had just sent money, there would be no ongoing connection with Pastor Santos. Speaking personally, there would have been no opportunity for, for me to learn from Pastor Santos and no opportunity for me to share in what's happening there in Peru. So now, and this is true of those of us who have been to Peru, but think, think you know, contextualize this for yourself. When, you, when we hear prayer requests for someone or something happening in Peru, there is a, there's a connection there. There's a bond because we've had these shared experiences. I've been able to share with them my emotions and they've been able to share uh, the same with me. So there are, there are certainly good things that arise from this fact that we connect God's designed us to connect through our emotions. Any thoughts or questions on that? Give you a chance to connect over the awkward silence. <laughs> <clears throat> so our authors have a, a really helpful statement, and it helps us in two ways. It helps us put guardrails up, um, but it also helps us to maybe think more carefully about this or, or more mm, to, to give more weight to this concept. 
Emotions are not at the center of what love is. That's important. Hopefully, we've, we've all heard love is, a, love is a verb. Love has action. But they are a critical way of expressing it and connecting to others. So while we must maintain that love is not merely an emotion, we must also maintain that love is accompanied by emotions. Does that make sense? Okay. So to think about that, uh, just let's look at a, a, a few passages. One passage that comes to mind uh, is, is Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What's being communicated here? What's that? Emotion. Yeah, emotion. It's, it's, Paul is exhorting, in, in some ways, this is like a very clear command and we could, we could just use that as the only passage because it's very clear that <clears throat> Paul is saying to, um, to engage with and enter into the emotions of others. And notice it's not just with suffering. It's also with rejoicing. So if, if Corman, uh, if, he, if he gets a new duck <laughs> and he's excited about that duck, if I care about Corman, okay, he's not excited about ducks. <laughs> then if he's excited about that emotion and I care for Corman, then I should rejoice with him in getting a new duck. Does that mean that I have to love ducks to the same extent that Corman does? No, because I actually worked with ducks and I hate them. <laughs> but I can rejoice with Corman because he is rejoicing over this new duck. Um, or think about Jesus' parable of, of the... Um, he's talk, it's right after the parable of the prodigal son, and, uh, and he's talking about the woman who finds the, the coin that she lost, and, and what does she do? She calls her friends together to rejoice with her. It's good to rejoice together. Think about last weekend. We rejoice with those who rejoice. People traveled far distances to come and, and celebrate with us and rejoice with us in God's kindness to this church. Um, that's, that's, that's part of what love is. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Would you bring that up again in just a bit? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, think we could, I think we could actually think a lot about what it means to actually rejoice with those who rejoice. Maybe we focus just on the weeping with those who weep sometimes, and maybe I'm just spitballing for myself. But there's a lot to rejoicing with people in their, in their joys, um, even, if they're, even if they're small and trivial. It means a lot. Um, you could also look at Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that's not strictly speaking about emotions. Burdens can be much broader than that. But I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say that that is inclusive of emotions. Um, we, we bear one another's burdens as we share in their emotions. Um, and, and that could be sorrow, that could be depression, bearing, you know, if it's a burden, we're probably not talking about 
a new duck. Well, maybe it is, because they're <laughs> awful little creatures. Um, but it, it could be that, um, but, but we, we do bear one another's emotional burdens. Lucy. Sure. Because then they don't have to like have that like person next to them reach out and like relieve like truly like they'll like relieve that burden to yes. help them take care of themselves and you're not you know and that's a way because it's not just sitting with them and talking to them right like it's you're showing the bearing with them and right like recognizing their emotions and being with them yeah we're going to talk more about that later as well but in in talking about how we bear one another's burdens, how we share in emotions. Yeah, we can't, we can't pigeonhole this into one idea. Uh, we can't, we can't, um, scripture doesn't give the, the, all the physical manifestations as we talked about last week or last time. Uh, it, it doesn't say what specific physical manifestations these emotions should have, but we should have them. And, and we're going to think more about that hopefully in a bit. Um, so <clears throat> additionally, Paul enters, uh, Paul talks about, we see Paul entering into the emotions of the churches, uh, to whom he writes. So even if I am glad to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Here he's again, demonstrating, uh, his his joy for them, but he's also exhorting them to rejoice uh, with him. And, and what's notable in this passage is that this is despite his suffering. He's in a place of suffering, and yet he's rejoicing, um, he's rejoicing for the Philippian church. Um, so that's also important for us. Uh, an example that they gave in, um, in the, the chapter on, on how emotions don't come in single file um, was that you can be, you can have multiple emotions happening at the very same moment. Uh, and the example they gave was, was someone whose one daughter was, was suffering from life-altering, long-term debilitating illness, and the other daughter who's graduating and entering into a whole new joyful season of life. And how that, there's a lot of, it's hard to balance those two emotions. Uh, think about when, uh, when you have one friend who has just lost a parent and you have another friend who is getting married or having a baby or some, and it's, it can be so hard to kind of marry these things up and you feel, you feel completely insufficient and inept at rejoicing with one and, and weeping with the other. Um, and so I, I'm not going to say that that's easy it's very hard, uh, and yet we're still to do that. We are still supposed to, to seek to rejoice with those who uh, rejoice and weep with those who weep. So here, Paul, he's suffering, um, and yet he's, he's glad and rejoices with uh, the Philippians. Or uh, 2 Corinthians 7, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while, only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. 
for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. What's interesting here is that Paul is, Paul is engaging with their emotions. He's leaning into their emotions. And yet, he's not, he's, not just, he's not just validating any old emotion that they might have. And there's a lot we should learn from that, too. When we talk about um, feeling with others, that doesn't mean that we adopt what they're feeling as true or adopt what they're feeling as right. So... An example could be if, um, if Thomas, because we all know Thomas is so sensitive. Um, if Thomas felt slighted by someone who did absolutely nothing to him, it would be wrong of me to enter into his emotional response by saying, oh, you're right, that person is mean, full well knowing that they did nothing. But I'm just validating his emotions because he's feeling that and that means it's okay. No, nor do I just say, that Thomas guy is off his rocker, and I'm going this way. Um, no, scripture, scripture would call me to, to come alongside Thomas, enter into his emotions, and understand, yeah, what he's feeling would be rough. But you know what? He, you're also wrong. And, and they didn't say that about you. And, uh, and in fact, you're hurting them by accusing them falsely in your mind, right? So <clears throat> uh, I think, I think uh, an unknown author on Ligonier summarized this helpful, helpfully in, in speaking of Christ's sympathy. Some theologians portray Christ's sympathy with his people as weak and ineffectual. Though Christ may feel what we feel insofar as our emotions are not sinful, he does not merely stand beside us whimpering and weighed down by emotion. Rather, he can and will raise us up into newness of life and rejuvenate our emotions when we go to him. So as we, as we come alongside people who have misguided emotions, while, while we can't rejuvenate them this in, because of the same way that Jesus does, we can, in the power of the Holy Spirit, rejuvenate them by bringing them Christ's word, by bringing them truth by hoping all things and believing all things, that they will come to see the truth. Does that make sense? I don't want to overly belabor that point, but I think it's really important. Um, so then, we, we, speaking of Jesus, we see, we see obviously a, a great model in Jesus' own uh, dealing with his people. So um, passages like Hebrews all throughout Hebrews, really. I have a lot of passages here, and I decided that I wasn't going to read them all. But a lot of, uh, of passages in Hebrews talk about um, the, whole, the whole discussion on how Jesus is our high priest is really talking about how Jesus enters into um, our lives, and that includes our emotions. Again, I don't want to reduce it. It's not that he's only coming into our emotions, but it involves a lot of that. So, uh, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect— that includes our emotions, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's notable given the other point, right? He's not just coming to be, to be your buddy. He's coming to make propitiation for your sins because <laughs> we're sinful. Uh, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Um, then we, we see this even more poignantly, or maybe kind of fleshed out in Hebrews 5, 
In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Um, repeatedly in, in, the, uh, in the life of Jesus, we see him responding on a specific emotion. Uh, we see it a lot. But in his, in his miracles, what, what comes up frequently as he, as he heals, as he feeds the 5,000, as he feeds the 4,000? What, what comes up? Compassion, exactly. It, it says he, he had compassion on them and he acted, which gets to Lucy's point, right? Part of, part of entering into someone's emotions might be acting to relieve them uh, if you're able. And Jesus obviously is entirely able and he enters into uh, that and, and relieves their, um, their plight. Another example would be as he comes to, uh, as he, as he um, encounters a, a funeral procession uh, of, of a young man, only child, he sees the widow, uh, the widowed mother of this, of this young man, and we read that when he saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. And the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he's, he's not even part of this funeral procession. He just encounters it, and he moves towards this woman in compassion. So <clears throat> another, another thing we could look at uh, is the, the chapter on the communion of the saints, uh, which, which talks about how we share in one another's uh, we share in, in, in one another's burdens in, in love. Um, and, and what this really helps us understand is that there is a special way that we're supposed to connect with those within the body of Christ. And so our authors, our authors helpfully point us to that very metaphor. What metaphor is Paul so fond of using for the church? The body, uh, the, the church as a body. So he, he uses this in First uh, Corinthians 12, uh, and then into 13. It's the context for the famous chapter on love. Um, and, and so because we, are, because we are part of Christ's body, we, we should pay special attention because we're, we're most closely connected to those who are also in the body. So Paul tells us we're supposed to do that in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so the authors uh, push us with a very relatable example. You're working in the kitchen, you're bustling around, you go to close the drawer, and you forget to pull all the fingers out in time. And what happens? Your finger gets smashed. Right? So... What does, what does your body do? What does your brain do in that moment? Ow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't know what it does in that moment because it's so, it just happens. <laughs> there is raw instinct. Uh, it's not, as they point out, you don't go, interesting. <laughs> that looks like a bit of a jam. 
I wonder if it hurts. <laughs> what does it feel like to hurt? And then go off philosophizing on this. No, 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 no. Your whole body engages. And, and really, uh, if you think about like your, your response to if you're cut, your body engages with that in ways that you don't even know about. Like there are things coming to the rescue to ward off infection, to get clotting going. I mean, it's amazing. Your body moves into action when the slightest member, a pinky, a pinky toe, whatever it is, when it gets injured. Well, similarly, we should, we should apply this to the body of Christ. Do we see the, the least of these suffering? Do we just come up and say, you'll be okay? And then move on? Yeah, there, there. <laughs> um, yeah, no. No, we, we, should, we should move into action. And what, what that looks like varies by context. But this is something that y- y- we need to wrestle with ourselves before the Lord is, are we, are we seeking to have that, um, that response? Do we feel with others? So practice makes perfect. Um, and, and I want to think about two ways, that two practical ways that we can help to improve this. So uh, one that, again, they draw out is, is noticing. We should just notice more. And I think this gets to uh, Lisa's point of, of grandparents. They have, they have more time, but good grandparents are using that time to notice, uh, to observe what's going on in the lives of of their grandchildren. Um, yes, there are people that have more time to focus on that and there are seasons of life where that is more difficult. But to whatever extent we're able, we should be seeking to do the same. How easy is it? I'm, I, am, I am chief of, of guilty uh, among us of doing this. On Sunday mornings, I come in and there are a gazillion and one things that can be done and as a deacon, you're, you're, you're noticing doors, you're noticing bathrooms, you're noticing any number of different things. And the most important thing that I should notice is also often the last thing I notice, which is people. And I'll breeze by, hey, good morning, good to see you, hi, yep, okay, yeah. And suddenly I've, I've gone through and I, I get home and realize, you know, I didn't really have a meaningful conversation or a meaningful connection with anyone at church today. And that's a problem. Um, we, we should notice, we should take time to see, oh, Arden, Arden is, is not seeming as, like, friendly today. <laughs> maybe I should check in with her, because she's normally very friendly. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe someone is, is just seeming especially light and exuberant. Ask, you know, what, what, are you, what are you excited about today? Um, n- notice. And I think this gets especially um, challenging the closer the person is. So spouses, and this is, o- this is not only applicable to spouses, but, but spouses. As you interact with or observe the emotions of your spouse, I think it can be very easy for us to, to kind of step back very quietly and slowly from those emotions. Yep, tiptoe around them the 5,000 pound gorilla in the room, um, not your spouse, the emotions, uh, <laughs> and kind of tiptoe around hoping not to, to wake the sleeping giant. 
because it's a, it's a Pandora's box. You're afraid that if you ask, how are you, uh, how are you fe- feeling? And you're afraid that in that moment, it's going to be boom, all sorts of feels. Yes. Yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> we, we, should, we should listen and take time to notice and, and actually, and this is counterintuitive, but actually draw it out uh, in those moments, especially if we're not understanding. Maybe especially, now sometimes you are busy and maybe, maybe it's like, well, can we, can we talk about it later, but then actually talk about it later. Um, but... Sometimes it, it's important to actually not tiptoe around the gorilla in the room, but actually uh, poke it and prod it a little bit to try to get it to open up. Um, and, and that requires time. That requires dedication and diligence. And, and that's not always the case. You can't always engage with it. Sometimes there, there's so much, I don't want to oversimplify this or, or, or give like false guilt. Sometimes it is truly a 5,000 pound gorilla in the room and you can't, you, you can't deal with it. But is your response to just walk away or is it to grapple with their emotions in prayer? Part of engaging and entering into someone's emotions might be bringing their emotions to God. So you might not go and engage them immediately. You might not poke and prod uh, and ask questions immediately. The opposite of, of in, engaging, uh, or, or the opposite of, of not engaging shouldn't be um, to, to just ignore it and distract yourself. It should be to wrestle with that thing in prayer. And maybe God will lead you to an opportunity to ask more questions, to draw out what those emotions are. Um, so <clears throat> it's not simple, and yet the idea is we're always... I'm focusing on like hard cases, but we're always locking horns with, uh, with the emotions of those that we are um, connected to, those that we, we are most closely uh, related to. Yeah. <clears throat> this is firmly in the realm, what I'm about to say is off of that, and firmly in the realm of uh, uh, a side comment from Jacob. But I think it's sometimes valuable to go out on a limb if you notice what someone is, if you notice something different about someone is maybe think a bit why they might be feeling that and go out on a limb and say, 
you seem like you might be X. And be prepared to be wrong. You might be wrong. You're probably going to be wrong frequently. But going out on a limb to say, this seems like it's the case, communicates to them that you care enough to think about them and care enough to ask. But it also helps them to maybe come out a little bit because as Lisa kind of hinted at, just saying, how are you doing, has become a very bland question in our culture. Yes? Yeah. Like, I know what you mean, sometimes you feel like people still think they kind of want to fix it or talk about it. I just need someone to actually explain what's going on, or just kind of like be there, even mm-hmm. if you don't know exactly what it's meaning, just kind of recognize, oh, something's a little off, so I'm going to do this instead of like, um, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And then later you can talk about <coughs> like in hindsight when it's like to help like, you know, work through it and especially if you're close to someone that's going through it. Right. Right. But I think what we do with it is important. Do we walk away and say, oh, it's a shame that that gorilla is there? Or do we pray for that person? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, Others have have pointed out one of the best things that Job's friends did was just sit with him for seven days. Uh, And that's, that's, yeah, being quiet. Uh, That would be tough. Okay. (coughs) So very briefly, uh, as we as we close, um, just to think about a few hindrances and um, uh, again, Lisa brought this up with, with time. Being busy can be a hindrance. I don't think it's a legitimate excuse, and I say that with fingers all pointing at me, um, but, but it, it can be a hindrance. But some other hindrances would be pride, um, envy. Here's one that hinders us from rejoicing with those who rejoice, right? That person has what you want, and you're not going to rejoice with them because that should be yours. That's wicked. Um, rejoicing, rejoicing with those who rejoice requires that we, that we deal with our own envy, that we grapple with our own emotions. Um, insufficiency, we can, we can be hindered from engaging with people by feeling helpless, but what's the answer to that? Yeah, you are helpless, but Jesus isn't, and, and you're connected to Jesus. You're part of his body, and so you, you, you can engage. Um, and then self-absorption. And I think the authors really perceptively frame this even in a, in a positive light. Self-absorption doesn't always have to be, I'm just thinking about uh, my, own, my own life and totally distracted as I'm talking to Debbie. It could be legitimate or seemingly legitimate questions like, as I'm talking to Debbie and trying to enter into her emotions, oh, I'm distracted the whole time thinking, am I being responsive enough? I hope I'm feeling the right way right now. Are we connecting? I wonder what she's thinking about me. Those distract from actually engaging. Just stop. Like if you catch yourself feeling those things, just take a really quick moment, ask that the Lord would take it away, and press in again. Because those help in no way, shape, or form. And you're going to find yourself so caught up in, oh, I hope I'm doing this right, that you're not doing it. So... If you stop and think, I hope I'm doing this right, you're probably not because you're thinking about it. Um, <clears throat> that's the simplification. Anyhow, so the point is, the point that we want to ask ourselves is, are we truly feeling with others? We see, we see Jesus doing this. We see him most especially doing this in, in becoming a man. 
but are we feeling with others? Are we rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep? So any, we don't have much time, but any thoughts or questions as we close? All right. Well, thank you. Let's close in prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we do praise you that, um, that in Jesus we see, we see a friend who was, was deep with compassion. Compassion for our weaknesses, compassion for our joys, and a friend who, who was willing not only to, um, not only to hear, but to enter into uh, the the emotions of his people. We thank you that we even we even see Jesus communicating his emotions to his people as he tells the disciples um, that he is he is very sorrowful even unto death. And we see him sharing of his own emotions and allowing the disciples to, um, to connect as well. Uh, and, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to do the same. I pray that you would give us um, faithfulness to, to hear, uh, diligence to pray for those uh, within your body, and that you would help us to pursue deeper uh, connection and relationships with uh, those that you have put in our, in our lives, especially those of your own people. And I pray now that you would help us to, to worship you and that we would encourage one another in our worship. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.